and welcome to this very special edition of the Under Pressure Podcast during the footy frenzy. It's caused us a bit of a problem trying to figure out when to record, along with stage four restrictions, making it all just a little bit harder. But as always, I'm joined by Jake Barker and a few of the big topics of topics of this week include uh, Alex Neil Bullen's sort of a tackle last night and the Tom Lynch head bump, um, not head bump, but poor sportsmanship manner. What do you think of uh, Alex Neil Bullen, Jake? Yeah, when I, when I first saw it, I, as soon as the tackle happened, it sort of went and he was the, the player Hamill, who was on the ground, the young guy. He, a very slight build as well, so that didn't help Neil Bullen at all. And he, Hamill was not moving at all. And for a second there, I thought <laughs> a stretcher might need to come out, but good thing, good thing that he started moving. So that, that's always a that's always a positive. But after yeah. seeing after seeing it a few times on the replay, it, it the more you see it, the worse it gets for Neil Bullen. I think could not agree more. And this is also for more importantly than the suspension to Alex Neil Bullen. Well, I'll come back to that in just a second. But for Hamill, this is his second concussion in a very short amount of time and that's obviously got huge long-term thoughts so like Hamill could miss will probably miss two weeks at a minimum and to be honest could be upwards quite significantly of two weeks but I actually want Neil Bullen um, to be graded as severe and sent straight to the tribunal I, I, I think what he did was absolutely disgraceful and is definitely severe. Yeah, it looked like he did have control of the tackle as well and could have he could have let go at any time, but he did take him right to the ground. So that's where I think he's going to be in trouble. Like like you said, this, the grading will be severe, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I can't remember it. I haven't seen the footage since I heard this on radio this afternoon, but it was after the whistle. Yeah, so the free kick had been paid or whatever it was, yeah. yeah. Whatever it was, it had already been paid. There was no need to for Neil Bullen to continue the tackle. I, 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 it, it didn't look good. It really didn't look good. Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be worried if I was him at the moment. He, it's certainly not. He's certainly not going to be playing in the next for the next couple of games, even more. I, I think at a minimum it should be three. And I would have no issue with that being four weeks. No issue at all. And I think the hard thing, the, the hard thing for Neil Bullen is that could be his last game of football. He's, he got a one-year contract extension at the end of last year. And in his two games for Melbourne this year, he has looked shocking. He got dropped after the first one. I think that was against Carlton. And then, then this. It's a long way back for him to get back into that side because the rest of his game wasn't very good last night. Yeah, no, he was pretty poor last night, and as you said, he hasn't he hasn't played much football this year, and he won't be for the next probably three weeks to a month. Obviously, with the frenzy, there's more games in more days, so he doesn't miss weeks. He miss, misses matches more more to the point. So I think you'd almost say his season might might be done if he does if he can't. Because he won't be able to participate in this. He won't be able to participate in the scratch matches because they're AFL sanctioned, and if you're suspended, you're suspended. Yeah, correct. Just like it would be if he was in a VFL season. Um, I think the one thing that um, is a plus for Neil Bullen is um, he's obviously done a lot of work with trauma victims in the past. 
and he's got family members who have experienced some um, horrible trauma. So I think when he does go to the tribunal, he'll be incredibly remorseful and be able to say what I did was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's, you've hit the nail on the head there for sure. I think he knows he's in the wrong and he just has to cop the whack, whether it's three weeks, four weeks or whatever. And the other bit of uh, MRO action that's happened in the uh, early stages of the round is the Tom Lynch incident on Alex Witherden. Yeah, this, this, this one baffled me. I've seen this over the last couple of weeks now. I saw one last week also with um, Jasper Pittard I, pushing, someone, pushing someone to the ground right on three-quarter time and costing his team a shot at goal because the free kick was re- reversed. It happened last night in the Melbourne game. I believe it was Vandenberg. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it was. And it reversed that uh, free kick, I think, on quarter time. Yeah, quarter yeah. time. Uh, yeah, quarter time. Yeah, so it's just it's something that's creeping into the game. And I, I don't really think it's it's good. It just it, It's a lack of class. Like, just get up and go move on. Like, in two of those incidents, you've cost your team set shots at goal. And more, more than likely, they're going to kick that goal. So you've got to somehow repay your team and, and get that back. But for, some, for someone like Tom Lynch to do it, a high-profile player, it just, it's a really bad look for, for the game and himself. Yeah, and, and Tom Lynch has since been given a $500 fine for that. And in a normal season, that would have been a $1,000 fine just with the um, wages being cut this year. The MRO have cut all fines in half, so which I think, to be honest, is a fair thing to do for the players. But I don't think $500 was enough. I've seen that incident probably three or four times. And every time I watch it, I think he should have got more than a $500 fine. Yeah, it's it's hard with what's going on with this year to sort of determine how how all these fines and sanctions are going are gonna to work. But if... In my opinion, if you want to stamp it out, you either pay heftier fines or you get weeks. And I think that that's yeah, the best. That's the best I way to do agree. it. That's the best way to do it. Um, when when I did see the the Tom Lynch one, it, it it gave me an immediate flashback to Alex Rance on an Anzac Day game a few years ago, where he did a similar thing to Jack Watts um, late in the game. But the main difference from the footage I've seen is the Alex Rance one was a bit more of a clenched fist than an open palm, which Tom Lynch had. And I, I think Rancy got two to three weeks for that. Yeah. I do, like, obviously, I think a closed fist is definitely worth a, a week more, but then maybe even two weeks more. But I still think Lynch should have got a week. Yeah, as I said, if, if you want to stamp it out of the game, you make it, you make it not worth their while, essentially. You want to give them more weeks and... Yeah. Yeah, that's my opinion on that. And I think, and I, I, I'm just speaking my opinion here, but I know that the fines have been cut in half due to the wages, but a $500 fine sounds a lot less than a $1,000 fine. Maybe the just that extra zero, it just sort of, even though it is half, it is, it just seems a little bit less. I, I, I'm not saying that, saying it's not 50%. I know for a fact it is. It just a $500 fine does not sound severe at all. And and even for the players in this 
climate, it's still not a huge amount of money. No, and not for these guys. It's it's chump change. I remember I remember hearing Eddie say it was it was it's pretty much like he, he pulls that out of the back of his pocket. He can light a fire with it. So that's that's nothing for Tom Lynch with the amount of money he's on. So if they want to stamp it out, I think let's up up the ante. In my opinion, yeah. And the next bit um, are two uh, coaches, two of the biggest name coaches in their codes, with uh, Nathan Buckley and. Um, South Sydney coach in the NRL, Wayne Bennett, both uh, getting uh, COVID-19 breaches. Um, I'll be honest, I actually, when I first saw the Nathan Buckley one, I thought it was a bit comical, if anything, that um, the day after his president said, if you stuff up, you sh- I'm paraphrasing it here, but you stuff up, you should be on a plane home. It's not worth the risk. And then your senior coach and your senior assistant coach in um, Brenton Sanderson are playing tennis with Alicia Mollick. Yeah, when I you hit the nail on the head there, uh, it was it was absolutely comical when I heard that playing tennis of all things, and with a superstar of <laughs> past superstar, I should say, very good tennis player, but she's definitely past it. Um, but Alicia Mollick, you'd think she would know as well, like putting those three, three high-profile heads right there and you think some one of them would say, oh, this is probably not a good idea. But neither of them, none of them thought of that and the fines have been dealt. Yeah, and I think, of, I think firstly, I think whether it was the club or the individuals agreeing for the individuals to pay, I think that is a brilliant move and at least it shows a bit of maturity for the supporters. But... I just, I, 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 I understand, as Buckley said in his press conference after the Fremantle game, there have been so many different versions of the, the COVID protocols that, they can, they, they, that they're a little bit confused. However, I understand that point. I, I, I understand it, that the rules have changed and they keep changing. But each club's got a, a COVID compliance officer. It's almost if you're doing anything else, like in, in my mind, the minute that you are leaving your hub or your hotel room or the hotel complex or engaging with someone outside of your bubble, surely that involves a conversation with your compliance officer to say, hey, I want to do this. Is this okay? If, if anything, go into your compliance officer just to ask the stupid question on, hey, I did this yesterday. Is it still okay to go see or go do whatever I want to go do. You might as well just do it every time just to be safe. And, and it should be drilled into everyone, players, coaches, staff, to go to that officer and say, I've done this, I'm going to go do this. Is that the right thing to do? Can I do it? Even if you're unsure, just go and do it. It doesn't hurt to do that. No, I've praised uh, Nathan Buckley quite a bit on this show for being almost the, the wise head of the AFL coaches at the moment, for him to say that he was confused with the rules, I think says these rules are quite complicated. And that's why, as I just said, you should always just go to the compliance officer. They're there for that purpose. Just do it. Yeah, correct. And I think now that there's been so many examples and I'm getting sick of using examples for, for players and coaches, but surely now... All players, all coaches, all staff know that they just need to 
they just stop. Like, keep playing the game, keep coaching. I know it's hard. You're in a bubble. It's just, it's just not worth worth it, and you're risking too much with the AFL. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. And the thing is, his president the day before went on a huge rant on this. And I actually want to actually swing back at Eddie Maguire here for a second. His comments from the minute he said those comments of if you stuff up, you should be sent home. He was always going to be left looking like an idiot because one, someone from Collingwood was going to stuff up. His quotes were, in my mind, he was talking about a ticking time bomb that applies to every single person in the bubble. Someone was going to break them. It was just a matter of when. And for it to be as silly as playing a game of tennis with Alicia and Mollick, with your senior, your two most senior coaches, less than 24 hours after, just shows that I think this, and this is a bigger issue here, but is Eddie doing too much? It certainly seems like it. He's commentating. He's but, hosting, hosting for, like hosting the shows before games. He's obviously on radio. He's he's the president of a football club. He's doing a lot of things, and he has a lot of fingers in yeah. a, lot, a lot of pies. And and I know people have said that for a while, but this year particularly, it just feels like he's doing far too much. And every single issue in footy has to have himself involved, whether it's his opinion or he's bringing out the information. It's almost as if that every single COVID-related story this year has got at least one quote from Eddie Maguire in it this year. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure he wouldn't want that to happen, but because he has his hands in a lot of things, he's forced to make a comment. So, yeah, and it's... it's I'm, I'm just starting to get to the point of, hey, does Eddie need to wind back one or two commitments? It could be just simply, hey, it's, I've been really enjoyed sharing my knowledge, for example, in the war, the, the uh, war committee. Maybe I'll, I'll just take a backward step from there so he doesn't feel obliged to comment on every single COVID issue, given that he is the face of football. Or in, in a, sorry, not the face, one of the voices of football. Yeah, no, completely agree. As I said earlier, there was another coach in the NRL, Wayne Bennett, one of the most senior and most respected coaches in actually Australia in any sport, also broached uh, uh, COVID regulations in uh, New South Wales. Uh, Jake, you want to just recap what happened there? Yeah, so uh, I believe it was earlier, or late, late last week, uh, Wayne Bennett went out with who I believe to be his partner, and went out to a restaurant, says they sat near no one, all, the, all these terms, blah, blah, blah. Everyone spits, spits these terms out. It's, he didn't know, he didn't realise that he was doing the wrong thing, didn't think he did the wrong thing, but has since been asked, not, not asked, told by Peter Volandi that himself and also a player from St. George Illawarra who also had done something else, but we'll focus on Wayne Bennett at this point, that both of those player and coach are going to receive a 14-day isolation, but the sanction is yet to be determined. So they've got their, their two-week quarantine as, as usual for someone who, who breaks 
uh, restrictions in the NRL, but they have yet to uh, determine what the sanction is going to be. I think, I don't know what kind of stand they're going to take on it. I know the AFL took a stand on Buckley. I think it was, was it $20,000, Matt? Uh, I think it was $50,000 suspended down to $25,000. Which, yeah, which they'd each pay. So, yeah, so they're both, I'll, I'll be interested to see what, what kind of, because there's obviously going to be some sort of fine involved with this. I would be very surprised if there wasn't. Peter Volandi's done a magnificent job. We've spoken about this on a lot of podcasts this year, that he's really doing a good job with the NRL this year. In terms of, in terms of what I think will happen is that he will get a fine, but I, d- I don't think it'll be as extensive as what the AFL has dished out, personally. So I think... By doing by doing some sort of fine, I think it works well with going with the AFL, but then not as much. So he's not sort of creating a lot of enemies within the NRL itself. So all in all, not a great look to not not a great look over the past week in both codes of NRL and AFL. So hopefully these veteran coaches will know better next time. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, I... It would have been interesting to see what, how it would have played if Buckley and Sanderson also had to have that um, non-negotiable quarantine period. It would have been really interesting to see how that would have impacted Collingwood. Um, and we're going to actually come back to Collingwood. I've just got a few question marks over Collingwood, which we will address a little bit later. But as I said in last week's episode, that it was going to be the British Grand Prix over the weekend and provided really a pretty decent race. It was a bit boring at times, but in the last couple of laps when tyres exposed to the drivers coming in first and second, um, that always adds a bit of excitement for those who didn't hear uh, Lewis Hamilton won the Grand Prix to win his seventh British Grand Prix, his home Grand Prix, and he's now only four away from overtaking Michael Schumacher to become the most successful driver ever. ever. But for me, one of the drivers who's been actually under huge amounts of pressure for the, ever really since uh, the first, or since 2018 um, season. He's been under pressure severely since then. Um, it's one of the Haas drivers, Roman Grosjean. And he's become under pressure because he's made a lot of careless mistakes. And a lot of these mistakes have been highlighted in that the Netflix documentary, A Drive to Survive, which I strongly recommend that you watch. But he did a couple of additional moves while breaking into a couple of corners. Now, for those who don't know in, in formula one, and I think it's most racing codes is once you're in the breaking zone. So you've started to break, you can only move once you can't move left and then go, Oh, the guy's trying to overtake me to the right and then move back to the right. You have to, you can move once. And on a couple of times during the race, he actually moved twice. He, did it when uh, McLaren driver Carlos Sainz was trying to overtake. And then again, when Renault, Renault's and Australia's driver, Australian driver, uh, Daniel Ricciardo. And um, Gro- uh, Carlos Sainz described it as scarily dangerous and unacceptable, while Daniel Ricciardo said it was on the edge 
and that he would actually raise the issue in their driver's meeting, which they would have ahead of this race. Once again, at Silverstone for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix race. Now, it should also be said that Roman Grosjean is the Grand Prix Drivers Association chairman, which, in other words, is he's a bit like Patrick Dangerfield, who is the, the president of the Players Association. He sort of, with that, holding that sort of responsibility, has to act more responsibility and ensure he's following the rules. Yes, in a race, it's a heated moment. I get that. But he knows the, he should know the rules of engagement. And uh, Formula, former Formula One driver Mark Webber said, um, citing back to some experiences that he had when Grosjean was racing with him prior to his retirement in 2013, is um, I don't think he understands the rules of engagement. He is moving around very late in defending. He's saying he's leaving a car's width on the inside, which technically he is, but weaving in the middle of a, of the road at a high speed, he has got even further across to show his intention earlier. I think Grosjean has a gross misunderstanding of what current Grand Prix racing is all about in terms of wheel-to-wheel combat. That's a huge and brutal statement for Mark Webber, isn't it, Jake? Yeah, I mean, coming from one of the, one of the greats of Formula One here in Australia, his opinion would be would be high up there, and I'm sure that <laughs> there's been a lot of drivers in Formula One who would value his opinion over a lot of people's, and for him to come out and, and say that is 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 very big, I think. Yeah, uh, when when I first read it, I went, "Wow, he he hasn't." held swinging and and Grosjean said uh, Max Verstappen used to do this a few years ago when he was just starting to sort of start to become relevant I think it was in 2016's first year at Red Bull he did some of these moves uh, to Kimi Raikkonen at the Spa and Max was told to go and improve your technique because you will get penalised and you will crash and you will hurt someone and um um, he needs just to follow the rules. And just following on, just one more comment from Mark Webber that I'll just uh, quickly recap is he's the chairman of the GPDA, the Grand Prix Drivers Association. He should know should know the rules. For me, Rojon is borderline out of his depth in Formula One. I think that's a very, very, very brutal assessment on Rojon, but I actually think it's completely fair I think he's under huge amount of pressure. I don't see him on the grid next year. I don't think anyone sees him on the grid next year unless he rapidly changes his racing style and results improve. But Jake, like he, I know I was very excited when I heard in this test match against England and Pakistan that they were going to improve one area of the game that you and I have both hated at times with no balls now going to be called by the third umpire. Oh, it's, it's it's fantastic. I, I've been waiting for for this for for years. Ever since they obviously brought in the cameras and things like that, they've got to a stage where they can go, all right, third umpire, you're taking all control of every ball, whether it's a no ball or not a no ball. And I think it's perfect. It takes less stress off the umpire. They don't have to bother looking at the line. They can look straight ahead right at the batsman, ready for the ball to be delivered. It's, it's a perfect decision and a great 
choice by by the ICC. And I think it, it'll be great going forward. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be involved in, in all formats of the games. Is that right, Matt? Um, my understanding, uh, they were going to start to really trial it in the new one-day um, one comp, which the name escapes me. But yeah, I think it'll be very quickly rolled out to all forms of international cricket. Yeah, and that's perfect. And that the most important thing is that it's taking the, press, the pressure off the umpires. That they already get enough flack for making wrong decisions and then getting overturned or the other way around. So to take one less thing off them is, is really good in my opinion and will will be good will be good for the game of cricket going forward. If only we could have that in a bit of park cricket too, eh, Matt? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And having done a bit of um, centre wicket umpiring in a very low grade of uh, cricket, to just take the, the focus that you don't need to look down at that line, you can just look solely at the, the, the wicket and see, hey, is that ball in line? Is that actually out? I think is a, a superb move for cricket moving forward. And one that's long overdue, the, I, don't, I still have the question of why weren't we doing this three, four, five, even six years ago? Because the technology's been there. Yeah, well, yeah, with, with with the things like Hawkeye and Snicker, you thought that would have come in a long time ago, like you said. But we've got it now, and let's let's see it let's see it be used in in a really good way. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, as I said earlier, I was going to quickly mention Collingwood as my under pressure team of the week. Bit weird to say that of a team that's uh, actually had a good start to the year. They're currently ninth on the ladder. But if you said to me two three weeks ago, if you had to bank put all your money on one side to win this year's grand final. I reckon most teams would have said Collingwood. And for me, Collingwood's problem is they're, they're not actually able to score goals. I think there is a bit of an issue with their game plan somewhere. And that is, um, I'll just read some stats. They've scored so far this year, 525 points. And that's the 14th most points in the AFL. Um, Obviously, there are some teams that have played nine games. There's one side that's played eight games. There are some teams that have played ten games. Um, both Brisbane and Geelong are leading the competition, obviously, off ten games, but with 179 more points than Collingwood. So it's just the difference between that top... The, most of the teams in the top four have got over 100 points plus more than Collingwood this year. Um, pleasing for Collingwood is points against. They're number one in the competition at the moment for points conceded. However, Port Adelaide have played one more game and have only conceded 15 more points. So really and truly, they are second. So their defence is working, which if you look at their injury, Collingwood's injury list is even more pleasing because they're pretty much missing all defenders. There's one, maybe two players that you could consider as forwards. But Collingwood have been able to shut down the opposition, but they haven't been able to create opportunities. And I don't think they can win the flag if they don't fix this problem, Jake. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You've been very, very hard on this over the last couple of weeks. And I've been... They were, they were very close to being my under-pressure team of the week last week. The real reason why they weren't was I just ran out of time to do the research on the stats. 
Yep, and they've proved your stats even more this week. So they've they've kind of helped you in a way. But yeah, no, you've been harping on this for the last couple of weeks, and and you've you've dragged me to that side, and I, I I'm well in your camp now as well. Yeah, because you look at their injuries, they're obviously missing Pendlebury, uh, Langdon, Kelly, Howe, Greenwood, Dugowie, Callum Brown, and Dane Beams. There's not much score power in that list, so it's not as if you can say, oh. We're just missing some of our players who score. Yes, Jordan Dugo is probably their best, or well, one of their best players to score points. But he's only one player. You've still got uh, Stevenson who's playing. You've still got Mason Cox who's available, who can kick a couple of goals up forward. We all know what happened in that prelim final a couple of years ago. But they've got the talent available for to them on the ground right now. It's just that they're not actually able to do it. Yeah, and... It's a hundred percent. They're missing that. They're missing that vocal point. And obviously, when you're missing your best forward in Jordan Goey, that, that's going to make things even harder as well. So, but one player doesn't make a forward line joke. I think it's uh, even Goey's only missed two games so far, and he kicked five goals in his last game um, against the week uh, Geelong. Yeah, yeah, Geelong. Like it, they've. It's been a. This has been a problem that Colin would have had all year. Um, even if you go back to their first game since the restart against Richmond, they didn't score much there. They did, hardly scored after quarter time. I I I have big question marks over Collingwood, and I know I I if if you look at the AFL ladder right now, I'd probably say the top eight will play finals this year, with the exception of Bulldogs. Um, being removed for Collingwood, but you look at the ladder and you go, hey, actually, it's anyone's game. It is anyone's game. Like, if you look at the sides on the fringe of the eight, you've got um, you've got Essendon, you've got Carlton, you've got Gold Coast, you've got Melbourne, you've got Doggies just inside. There's a lot of competition for that one spot. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think they've got an issue. I still think Collingwood will make the eight, but I don't think there'll be a side that threatens. I think sides like Geelong, St Kilda, Richmond, West Coast Eagles and Port Adelaide and Brisbane are the are the big powerhouse clubs this year. Yeah, it's, it's... because they've had only because they've got the ability to get goals on the park. Port Adelaide not only are scoring, but they've also got that balance in defence. And I think actually I'm also going to put Geelong in that camp. They've been they've been very good, um, not conceding goals. Actually, so too of St Kilda and Richmond. St Kilda, for example, St Kilda they've uh, they've scored 670 points this year and only conceded 534, whereas Collingwood have only conceded 470 and scored 525. You can see they're just not scoring. Those six teams that I said earlier, uh, St Kilda, West Coast, Brisbane, Port, Geelong and Richmond, a premier I'd say is going to come from one of those six. Yeah, I think I think you're right in terms of if, you, if you're only doing one of them right, it usually doesn't get you a flag. You have to be doing both pretty decently. Not super well, but you have to be doing both pretty decently to be challenging to win that flag, even in a, even in a strange season like this one. Yeah, and if you look back through history, you're going to say the only team that's really won on defence in the last few years is Sydney under the uh, 
the coaching of Paul Roots in the uh, mid two thousand in the early two thousands. Yeah, and those and as you saw in those grand finals, they were, they were pretty low scoring for for grand finals. So and they were very they were very close, and um, West Coast almost had an opportunity in the dying seconds. And it's the argument that I think we've brought through a few times earlier in the year. Sides are going, um, for example, with Sydney. Their, their mentality is almost, let's restrict this, once again, Sydney, actually, um, is let's restrict the sides for as long as we can in scoring, knowing that we, throughout the entire game, we're still in this contest if we can just break the lines and get a goal. Yeah, correct. It's, it's, it's horrible to watch, but... The mentality of keep we'll keep the op- we'll we'll keep ourselves in it, but we almost won't try and win it ourselves unless that opportunity comes. So it's going to be interesting. But Colin would need to work on that. I know you're very passionate about the New Zealand Warriors this week, Jake. Yeah, well, I was actually I was actually quite close to to doing them last week as my under pressure team of the week, but I, the Broncos just pipped them. But they haven't. Done, done themselves any favours this week with, uh, with, with a bit of news coming out as well. Albeit they did have a win last week, so that's helped them out a little bit. But uh, we're not going to go too far. That's not going to help them in, the, uh, in this week's segment. So I've been wanting to do the New Zealand Warriors for a long time now, actually, ever since we, we, we started doing these segments. I had them on my list earlier, earlier on in the podcast when we weren't when we weren't doing these and back in, back in that time, their coach, Stephen Kearney had been sacked. So that wasn't a great start, obviously due to poor results and things like that. Um, they appointed Todd Payton, who was his assistant at the time. So he was, he, he's taken over since, since that point in time, since then, well, not since then currently they're in 12th position. So not, not amazingly, uh, probably the, the lower end of the, the second half of the, the ladder at four and eight. Uh, to give them a little bit of slack, they're obviously not playing at all in New Zealand, so they're not really getting any home games at all. But they're, they're doing it tough, just like the Storm are, although the Storm are a very tight unit and a very good, very good team anywhere they play. New Zealand just don't have those those leaders that can that can help them each and every week. As I said, they did get a they did get a nice win last week against the West Tigers, but the previous previous month before that, they took three losses to the Roosters, eighteen ten. They had a shocking loss to the Sharks, forty six ten, and they lost to the struggling Titans, sixteen twelve. So it's not really looking good for the New Zealand Warriors. And as well as coming up, they've got the Sea Eagles next week who are pushing for a, a final position, as well as the Penrith Panthers, Panthers who are on top of the NRL ladder at this point in time. The one thing that is very concerning for the New Zealand Warriors, they've only got one game left against bottom eight sides. The rest, the rest are against teams that are in the top eight. And that, that only spells concerns for everyone who is an... New Zealand Warriors supporter. I'd be very worried that you'd be finishing in the bottom two, bottom three this season. I understand that you've lost, you, you just sacked your coach, you've got an interim coach, albeit 
you don't want to be finishing in those bottom two spots. And they could be they could be in serious jeopardy of losing almost all games for the rest of the year if they're not careful. They do have one game against the Bulldogs, who are currently in last position. So that might make them uh, not drop as far. But that, they'll be in the bottom two for sure if, if they can't get their stuff sorted. I won't uh, make an explicit podcast this week. Also, they're, they're struggling to score as well. They're, they're second, they have the second least amount of points, scoring 13 points a game, which is not very good. And then they're conceding 26 to 28 points a week as well. So that's not good from a scoring standpoint at all. Albeit having troubles on the field, they're also having their troubles on the off the field, I should say. So... Interim coach Peyton um, was actually offered the head coaching role for next season and going forward. But unfortunately for the New Zealand Warriors, after doing a a bit of a good job this year, he's decided to knock that back due to family reasons, which is absolutely fine. But he made that well known on NRL 360. So that now puts some more added pressure on who they can appoint for the 2021 season. And, Going on, going on from that, it's going to be a difficult decision for them to make, I imagine, with what's happened with everything this season. Another story coming out of the New Zealand Warriors is actually halfback Blake Green has decided to up and leave mid-season. Strange decision. Um, he's leaving the troublesome Warriors in his wake and going to go join the Newcastle Knights for the remainder of this season. So he's left New Zealand now left the team and gone to join the Newcastle Knights halfway through this season. So he's gone from a struggling team into a team that's very much in the mix for finals. The, the reason for the move actually came about that the, the owner had publicly said that Green wasn't actually going to be required for next season. And he hadn't told him that. He was telling, I believe, some... I would say radio outlets or, or made it public to people on TV and things like that without actually speaking to Green himself. So that, that gave him the reason to move and that his services would not be needed at, beyond this season, which obviously made coach Payton less than impressed for sure. So all in all, on field and off field, the New Zealand Warriors are struggling big time and I think a win against the Sea Eagles this week would be huge for the confidence of their team and the loss of Blake Green. And hopefully uh, Todd Payton can rally the boys together and, and finish off the season well. Otherwise, where to next for the New Zealand Warriors? Yeah, it's obviously, as we've said, with everything this year, it's an interesting year, but where they're going to go is is definitely a question. It's... We definitely do want a strong side in New Zealand. But that does it for another episode of the Under Press Podcast. Please check out our social media and download our podcast off your preferred podcasting service. Um, we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, the Podbean app. But thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next.